So Justin McAleese, thanks for coming on the show. It's, it, we've been doing like a number of like reschedules and working around this whole quarantine, this whole uh, nightmare of uh, <laughs> scheduling debacle for the last year. So Justin McAleese, filmmaker, Blair Media, you just had a film come out. Um, Justin, tell me a little bit more about who you are, what you do, what you've been up to. Yeah, totally. Filmmaker here in Fresno, California, um, right in the heart of the Central Valley of California, right in the center, and been a filmmaker since college. So going on 20-something odd years now, 20, 20, thereabouts. And yeah, make uh, movies, do a lot of video production in general of uh, some of that's corporate, some of it's commercial, and then we get to do narrative occasionally. So it's a lot of that, a lot of music videos, things. All, all, we, we span all of the things and most of my work, I would say, is a director of photography, so I'm doing a lot of that. But then occasionally I get to write stuff or direct stuff or do a lot of editing. So, yeah, um, try to fancy myself as a somewhat complete filmmaker, and that's that's what I like doing. So that's that's my life. That's almost all of it. That's, that's what I'm up to. Awesome. So how would you say, you know, in the last year, how, how were you, how was, how was you and Blair Media and, and your fellow colleagues, how would you... How were you guys impacted over the last year, year and a couple months? Sure, yeah. Um, it definitely slowed down. It definitely, you know, I think I was in a good position to be able to absorb it better than a lot. So I feel really thankful about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, we we had our, like, <laughs> who was at the office and who was at home was the same, same group of people. Like, uh, my partner lives on the same sort of compound that... Um, the that that i do and so we would sort of come to the office and then go home and then come to the office and go home which is cool and um we have been able to do a lot of editing and, and we had some clients that <clears throat> needed more stuff that we could just repurpose old things for so i think that was really good that they could pivot um having clients like that is super um yeah th there's opportunistic situation there which was really great and i think going at that head on and, and reaching out to people and being like, Hey, everything's going to change here. We think, right. You think we think, yes. Okay. What can we do to make this, to see that we still have something going on here in uh, a couple months. And then, you know, just planning ahead as soon as we found out about how it was all going to go down, trying our best to plan ahead and have stuff to be able to do. Yeah. Um, I think having a lot of irons in the fire just in general means that you can pivot to that stuff and finally have the time to take care of it. Yeah. I mean, that luckily for me, I had a lot of irons in the fire and I was always on set. So I couldn't, you know, there was a couple of passion projects. I never got around to editing or taking, taking so long to finally like jump on that. Hey, listen, I think it was March 13th, March 12th. We went on quarantine. I think it was March 13th. I, I plugged everything in and I just started editing away at a couple of web series and a short film. And I'm now finally going to start plugging away. <clears throat> because then I realized how to manage time in such a way during quarantine that it's like I'm kind of addicted now to finishing finishing projects, maybe starting new ones. This podcast is the third attempt. We failed twice before. Oh, wow. And this is like the third attempt. And I think we're we kind of got the ball rolling with this one and, and, and we're still going with this third attempt, but now it's kind of like this addiction to continue a project or better a project or start a new one, start knocking things out. Uh, that addiction to that productivity, that creativity, finding that fine balance between quality and quantity. But uh, that's great. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing to find when you're just sort of on a moving train and I think when you can be the conductor, which it sounds like yes. you've been able to be in the last year or so, exactly. then you can decide the stops a little bit better. Yep. And I think that's a really good place to be. And, you know, I, I think that's where you find real productivity in the rest of your life is when you can try to be the conductor more than just being on the train. Um, when I'm on video, when I'm on a movie, say, or a, a long form thing where I'm doing something for a week on set on the same project, it's very easy to just be on that train and, and sort of lose sight of everything else because it yeah. becomes very insulated and very like um what would you say singular minded process driven like that's what i'm working on right now and these are long days and long situations uh, mentally so so i think anytime you can you could step outside of that and still be mindful of the other thing you got to work on in the back 
Um, that's very important. And it sounds like you've been able to sort of take the bull by the horns and have that be the primary goal, which is great. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was easy, you know, offline. We were talking a little bit about, you know, me and the wife just brought a kid home. And I'm always telling the same story on, on this show, but it, it, it speaks volumes for like really balancing uh, work and, and, and family time. But especially with him being, I think, you know, he was less than a month, anywhere between, you know, one day old and, and two months old. I just kept him in the bassinet. I bought an extra bassinet or someone gave us an extra bassinet. And I had that next to the edit suite. Yeah, and I was editing with headphones and I would, <laughs> I would have that white noise or that baby music right next to him. And I'm editing and I would check on him and, and me and the wife, she had to rest quite a bit, you know, right after the birth. So I was sure. taking him for most of the evening and night and she would like be up during the day and breastfeed or bottle feed. And there's this time management that you realize, okay, let's take advantage of this time now, because I think when he's four months old, he's going to be darting around this house. Sure. I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to sit still for much for, for very long unless the money's really good. But, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So back to you, back to Blair media, you, you mentioned, you mentioned the, uh, the film that you, you, you just had come out, I believe. Have you been, have you and Blair and, and your company and your colleagues, you guys been back on set uh, since then knocking out any music videos, films? Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, awesome. we, we dipped off and, certainly we had you know a quarter of the production than we would normally have for a good six months but um we're also uh uh what's what's the word for it if uh i don't know you, you know the word i'm forgetting the word right now but um essential workers right mm -hmm. so we're yeah. tied to essential worker sort of status through some of the stuff we do and so we were able to get out there and still have um yeah have on set time which is great because without that you do sort of lose structure over time yeah when you don't get out and then come back and then get out um if you're just sitting and editing the whole time it uh can you can just sort of wallow in that and it's not very much fun and every day is the same i guess so yeah it's it's been it was great getting on set occasionally and being able to do very specific projects and a lot of those things too was us um pivoting enough with live things to be able to do projects that we hadn't done in quite the same way. So a lot of like virtual conferences and mm -hmm. the CEO getting over here and talking, normally that would be a conference. And now they're talking to all these people in a different way, or we set up sort of green screen things that we hadn't done before. And, you know, embracing all the zoom stuff, obviously what we're doing now, like me setting up this camera and all this stuff and getting some little lights and all that nonsense, um, like doing that. And then we started doing a show that we hadn't done before that was all zoom. And we did now we're on, um, clubhouse and all that in a different way so we did a lot of that internal um promotion we were also setting up a lot of that virtual stuff that hadn't existed like the day before really so that's yeah that's that's where we went to 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 be able to still be running cameras in one way or another for at least six months yeah clubhouse is the new tiktok it's the new podcasting or or yeah, I know, idea idea platform, I guess, is one way to put it. And, uh, and I was trying to jump on that and trying to like crisscross things. Clubhouse wouldn't let me Clubhouse would not let me oh. tap it into a tap it into a Wirecast or, or stream or stream view or whatever to then put that. Sure. And, and so but, uh, you know, that's that's definitely, I, you know, I think we went through some of those similar things. Yeah, we, we tried to like hook it up with zoom and be able to do both simultaneously and this and that. And it seemed like they're just different. Um, what would you say? Different audiences, different uh, platforms, obviously, but like different platforms and people psychologically as well. So we, we end up doing, you know, one zoom chat thing that's separate. And then we do uh, the clubhouse things that are separate from that because they're just different ideas. Now is the clubhouse, apparently. is the clubhouse things recorded? Is there a backup? Is there like a, um, is there a uh, yes? I archive? believe we are backing. I I believe so. Yeah, because we're then putting them up. So I haven't been here in a while. Okay. okay. I I was never huge on the clubhouse stuff. Uh, that was more my partner uh, doing that. But I mean, I was on them a number of times. But I'm trying to remember if we do that. I know that we all our Zoom stuff we record and put up later. Of course. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's you know, like me and the partners, we're always trying to like jump on the next trend, kind of experiment it experiment with it sure i mean i've i've kind of stuck with youtube for the longest i think for you know obvious 
reasons. Um, but, you know, like TikTok, when TikTok was fairly new, I just kind of dumped the same thing on that. Get, mm. get multiple different audiences seeing what specific things that I'm putting out. But Yeah, I mean, that's the best way to do it. You got to reach people where they want to be reached. Yeah. So to the extent that it's not like twice as much work to get half as many people because it's just a weird platform mm -hmm. then yeah you got to kind of branch out see what works and then uh, pull back to your core your your core competencies but uh you should always be ready to dangle the fruit in front of someone else that you don't know yet right yeah. i mean i mean like the, the 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 workflow and 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 the habits become okay i've got this hour and a half say for the example the podcast you got this hour and a half podcast and then i'll just take the first minute and i'll put that up on instagram on Facebook, TikTok, all the other grams and all the other sure. <laughs> platforms or whatever. 50 other things. There are, you know, what is yeah. it, Tumblr and Twitter and all those other oh, things. Dear God. And yeah. then just a link. And then there's just that link, you know, for full episodes, go here. Because the, the, the point is to try to get them. And I lost, I lost your video. Yeah, so. I lost me for a second. Oh, video. Okay. I, was, I was trying to get it to go. Oh, it, um, it resets every half hour. So I get oh, hit the button, okay. but I don't know why I did that. Whatever. And that's what, but you know, like I'm always, so, so every product has, and so it's not like, like, like you were saying twice as much work for half the audience or, you know, half the work for the same audience, but then an extra little 10% make this quick little thing. And then it's a basic upload to all the other platforms to get them directed towards the YouTube or whatever, because you're right. Every audience is going to be different. You got your Twitter, you got your Twitter people, you got your Instagram people, you got your TikTok people, you got your Clubhouse people. Yeah, but guaranteed, all of those people are YouTube people at yeah, this point. Yeah. At this point in life, I think it goes without saying. And so, yeah, I mean, think you about it. You, you being a filmmaker, how many how many years ago were you like, how the hell do I get a movie made and distributed? And when YouTube came along, that was it. It was like this is this is the way to get our stuff seen. Mm -hmm. And it's still the way to get stuff seen. I know it's so bogged down with so much content, but still. Yeah. Um, YouTube definitely came out after we'd already, I'd already made a feature film. Not a big one that anyone's seen or anything like that, but like went through the whole process and was already way out of film school and had been making a lot of, uh, we'd been making a TV show for a few years and, and doing that sort of stuff. And YouTube sounded, I remember specifically hearing like how much it was bought for by mm -hmm. Google. And you're like, that's what a waste of money. Those people are idiots. And uh, mm -hmm. just like having no concept of any of what it was going to be or what it was or any of those things. Until. And, yeah. Yeah. Until the whole thing just changed. Yeah. It just didn't, you know, that was day one. I didn't know what I was talking about yet, but uh, yeah. Who could have foreseen uh quite the juggernaut yeah. that it has become i mean that's just what you do on the internet if you want to watch video it's youtube so yeah. that that didn't seem like that was a possibility i guess or even oddly enough it didn't seem like it was a niche that needed to be filled at the time i don't know there was other stuff there was other ways to watch videos and you just sort of there was just a bunch of different platforms that were all whatever you're like i don't know it's a video i watch it here it's there it's on a website it doesn't matter i see it who cares and then when YouTube came along, it was the de facto thing. So um, I think you always need to be ever mindful of what those things could be and be looking out for like what the next big thing is so that you can at least get a little bit of it. And then um, if it doesn't, if you don't get the kind of traction you want, then maybe you move back to what you're used to doing that works better. I think the Pareto principle, the Pareto effect is in uh, full effect there in most cases. And in, in that idea is like, there's only... <clears throat> you know, when it comes to classical music, the example is, you know, uh, I forget what it is, but 75% of all classical music that is done in um, uh, like, like uh, by Philharmonics and all that is only four composers, um, you know, Mozart, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky, and um, uh, one other one. And so it's, it's always going to be only a few things, you know, it's like you have your Beatles and your Rolling Stones and two other bands and like that's like 75% of the air in the room when it comes to that style of music that mm -hmm. classic rock that's how how many albums they sold and so that's always there and so in the same way you're like youtube is going to be the vast you you have your couple platforms and those are going to be the vast majority of everything you get out of whatever you're putting in is going to come from there you can you put said, stuff on 50 other platforms but it 
you'll get almost nothing out of any of those and it's probably not worth it. So you're always you're, trying to look expand and then contract. And you said Pareto effect? Yeah, yeah, P-A-R-E-T-O, Pareto principle, I think usually they call it. But um, the idea that most everything comes from only, only a small part of things. And then once you expand out, like even from there, most everything comes from a smaller subset of those things. So right. like so I was like using the example like, of music. Like genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so all the records that are sold are only a few bands. And then all the all the songs that are sold are only a few songs. So when it comes down to it, you have a million artists and million songs out there, but really only a handful of songs are getting almost all of the sales and almost all of the recognition and all that stuff. That's mm -hmm. just how people are. And so you always, you don't want to chase the stuff that's way at the bottom that you're trying to get some usefulness out of when it comes to platforms or whatever we're talking about when, um, you know, there's no net gain there. You always want to focus on the things that work and really try to make those um, the, 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 the plat, uh, what would you say? The bedrock by which you build your stuff is just like, keep that strong. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. There's, there are these trends and like, like, like you're saying, and another word would be trends or fashions or styles. And if you're going to make it within the market that has that, First off, you're getting involved. If someone's getting involved into something, it's because they like it. I'm getting involved in filmmaking because I like superhero movies. I like Star Wars movies. I like action, adventure, sci-fi stuff. Those are a great example. I mean, it's like Marvel sucks all the life out of the room. Mm -hmm. It's everything. Everything is Marvel when you, when you look at all of the um, box office receipts. Well, we didn't have that last year. But, you know, like where, where's all the money in the movies going to? going to marvel and it's going to superhero movies right. in the last five years like that's an exact example of that stuff but sorry to interrupt but no but. no you're absolutely right but what i'm trying to make is i'm still going to do what i love and i want to do and i think absolutely going back to the you know the pareto of, of principle and that's something i'm going to look into and definitely discuss maybe further down the line with you again have you on whatever but sure that that stands out to me because there are folks that will just they want to make money. They don't know how. They don't know what they want to do, except for they want to make a living at something. And they just look mm. at what is popular at the minute, popular at the popular for the week. You know, sure. the 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 monster of the the monster of the week. Sure. And and, and, and sure, but that's a tough it, thing to chase. Yeah, exactly. You're never going to get ahead in that. <clears throat> you're always going to be one step behind in that, and someone else is setting that trend. You're just trying to ape it for the week. I mean, that's yeah. that's tough, man. So you got to do, you know, what we're always the generic idea of this, but it's true. It's like you're always trying to provide value. You're always trying to be a thought leader in whatever you're doing. So if you know more about something than everyone else does, if you're better at something than everyone else is, if you have a more dialed in, um, forward-facing public thing that everyone who sees it's like, oh, that's that guy that does that. He's really good at it. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, that's really a lot of times what you want to aim for. People don't necessarily love generalists. They don't because they want to be able to categorize things. So they want to be able to look at someone or some company or some um, studio or whatever it happens to be, some book writer. You know, I mean, there's a reason why Harlequin novels are all written by the same people or, or they're all, we know exactly what a Harlequin novel is because when you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like love story, you know, with the, with the pirate on the cover, that sort of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Fa the a book I have never, yeah, yeah. Those yeah. right, right? So people don't want to go get a, women don't want to go get a Harlequin novel and then have it be some complex, complex political discussion. They don't yeah, give a shit about that. They just it's, want it it's to not be the thing be, that it's supposed to be. Yeah. It's not going to be a Harlequin book written by Stephen <clears throat> King. It's going to no, be a no, Harlequin no, book written by, it's always going to be a Daniel Steele. Those, or, yeah, uh, yeah. Whoever writes those things, yeah. right? And it's the same pretty much with every kind of media. Like people want to be 5% surprised. They never want to be 50% surprised. Like, it's so hard to do that. So they want to be, you know, you got to be in that pocket. You got to keep giving the people what they want, but slightly different. I mean, yeah. like, that's literally all of art ever. Give them what they want, slightly and, different. And comic, and so, you know, like, like going back to comic book movies, comic book movies before Iron Man 1, comic book movies always had the same kind of structure, good versus bad, uh, you know, like, and even comic book movies took from Star Wars movies, where the first movie, good guys win, second movie, bad guys win, 
third one, good guys went again for good. And then that might be where they're boxed in. Whereas the MCU definitely takes that five to 10% difference. Hmm. Every single movie is a comic book movie. Let's be honest. It's a superhero movie. It's going to be crazy action, sure. outlander special effects, but uh, the Iron Man's, they focus on tech and the, and the, mm. and the Captain America's, the, the Iron Man's, they focus on tech and, and, and the dangers of technology, sure. advanced technology. The Captain America's are espionage films. Mm. Ant-Man's are heist films. Mm. The Thor movies are kind of like uh, Macbeth films. Mm. And then when they all get together as Avengers, they're huge team-up action, Star Wars epic yeah. films. And it's the expendables so, with superpowers. Yes, yes. <laughs> expendables <laughs> unite. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and 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 it's funny you mentioned. I mean, Stallone's a freaking Guardian of the Galaxy now, and I'm yeah. excited. And Stallone is a member of the Suicide Squad. He's on the he's on the credits anyway. Only Stallone hey. could pull off both brands funny. and be like, "You're not going to tell me what to do. You either want me or you're not." And he's in, he's in him. both universes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you say. They, they take that little 10% and they make niches. And so for me personally, someone was like, man, I can't watch all 40 of these movies. And I said, if you want to watch, if you want to kind of catch up with the MCU in, in a way that I would do it, because here's what I like, all the Avengers and all the Captain Americas, because those are the ones that stood out to me. I love okay. the Captain Americas more than the Iron Mans and the Thors and the, the okay. Ant-Mans Ant are kind of funny. But in chronological order, the Avengers and the Captain Americas, and, and that's really all I need to watch because mm. there's that 10% difference where it's like this war spy espionage movie. And then there's the big one and then the war espionage and then the big one. And, and yeah, uh, but that's what, yeah, but that's what well, Kevin Feige found was yeah. that little 10%. He's fitting into the mass market that, that, that uh, Pareto principle yeah. of there's a superhero movie. Mm -hmm. you know you're gonna love it it's a superhero movie but then there's this little bit that's slightly different and this is what makes us stand out with captain america or iron man or hulk or whoever yeah yeah, yeah. it's yeah. um you gotta you gotta stay in your lane i think in most cases because that's what people come to expect yeah if you're popular enough and uh that's what they want they want more of the same always and i think you know even i just finished uh schindler's list one of the worst oh. movies to just watch out of the blue, you know, during the day. Oh, God. It's, such, it's, rough, it's great, man. but it's such a rough movie. Extremely rough movie. That's a great word yeah. for it. So, it should be. I was saying it's a horrible movie because it's so great, but it's a rough movie. Yeah. But there's a guy that. Yeah. There's a guy that. Did you watch uh, Requiem for a Dream? Did you ever see that? I've seen it once, and there's no need for yeah. me to watch that again either. <laughs> That's the answer, right? <laughs> I mean, rough, you man. know. It's you. I gotta call your mom but, and apologize for for yeah. life and just being so shitty. Like you just like it's just it's rough. I miss you, and, mom. I'm so yeah, sorry yeah, for I everything know, I, I did as a scumbag yeah. teenager. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's not I love even you. about that, but you just mm -hmm. feel bad about stuff. Yeah. Yes. So, but that's it's an effective movie. It's a terrible, great movie. Yeah, and that's how Schindler's List is. Yeah, and but, one of them is obviously historical, which is even worse. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, it's it's by the book, historically accurate. But there's a filmmaker, again, that did that 50%. Spielberg was Indiana Jones, E.T.'s, mm. Goonies, Back to the Futures, um, Jaws, you know, like some horror sure. adventures and sci-fi adventures and kid mm -hmm. adventures and, and action adventures. And then all of a sudden, he does one of the most roughest movies ever made, Schindler's List, out of the blue, mm -hmm. black and white. Yeah, all like completely 180'd his entire style, his entire everything, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, he did some Empire of the Sun, Color of Purple. There were some movies in there. He he'd been yeah, a that's true an important filmmaker for twenty years at that point. So, yeah, the Color of Purple. You're right. Yeah, the Color of Purple so, was a bit so rough too. He had been working. Um, so long that I think we gave him that pass. I think the pro that pass. I think the problem is when any artist, any filmmaker, any whatever tries to do that on their third movie, like they they let's say um you know Talladega Nights and Step Brothers they make, and then the next movie is Schindler's List. 
that's going to mm-hmm. be a big pivot and that's yes. too much. Like audiences just can't take that, nor do we believe you that you're going to be good at it. And it just feels wrong. Yeah. So it's like, you got to over time, work your way up to that, to being able to bring something to the table like that, that yeah. is so counter of what we do think you are about. Cause you're hundred percent right. Like he's the Indiana Jones dude. He's the jaws dude. He's and, the, and he's going the back to those years, guy. going yeah. back to those years. That's the, that's the name I, I, had synonymous with third third encounter uh close encounters of the third kind and et as a kid and as i grew up and now here i am 13 uh, and maybe it was maybe it was i was just at that perfect age in that perfect time where i grew up with all the goonies and the indiana joneses and all those types yeah and then i'm 13 transitioning from middle school to high school and i see schindler's list yeah i'm like it's like double what the what the hell you know what i mean yeah, absolutely. And that's good. I mean, that, that's what's so great about art is they can make something that you feel like is brand new. You feel like it's more effective than anything could be in a book, especially movies, and just really lives with you. Only watch it once and it lives with you forever. Yeah. I mean, that's great. And whether that's like the actual scenes or the actual specific numbers or anything like that, that doesn't have to be just like that feeling. I mm-hmm. think you'll never, will never leave you of some pieces of art, specifically some movies. And, you know, that's what any filmmaker's going for. They're, they're, they're trying to, to affect you in a way that nothing else could. And that's a beautiful opportunity. Uh, yeah. And, you know, going back to, like you said, Talladega Nights, you know, let's say Will Ferrell, for example. Uh, oh, hell, I just forgot the other actor. I was John C. Riley. Uh, yeah. You know, John's, so, those guys, uh, Will Ferrell was on SNL, but John C. Riley kind of came up doing a lot of, you know, I- indie stuff at first. And he was always so goofy that when those guys teamed up, it's just old school Talladega Nights, Anchorman, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all the Sherlock Holmes and all these crazy comedies. And then they're still going to kind of delve into the indie scene and do like indie comedies or, or, or those, or those, uh, everything ob- must go. He's yeah. Known, right? Yeah. Where it's or, um, it's like very art house comedies and very like realistic kind of comedies. Sure. Because it took Vince Vaughn a long time. It even took people to hate Vince Vaughn for the comedies to then turn around and do Hacksaw Ridge and played uh-huh. played yeah. a drill sergeant to a T. I've never he nobody played a drill sergeant so well. Wow. And to, uh Except for Arlie Ermey. Arlie Ermey. And Vince yeah, Vaughn. Sir. Vince Vaughn, of all people. Old and he was. Swingers. I mean, Arlie Ermey was a drill sergeant. They only, and he was a drill sergeant. He was, he was helping write the dialogue and all that stuff and helping in, instruct the, um, the actor who was going to mm-hmm. be in Full Metal Jacket. And then they're like, let's just let this dude do it. He's better yeah. than whoever we're going to hire and yeah. whatever we're going to write. So, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And, but, but then going to Vince Vaughn, who yeah. was the comedy, and then like, <clears throat> terrible comedies, shitty comedies, and then all of a sudden he's uh, the and then all, so he does Hacksaw Ridge, then he does freaking uh, 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 a brawl on Block Ninety Nine, which was just oh, I never saw brutal. Wow. Have you ever have you ever seen Bone Tomahawk? No, Kurt Russell. No, so there, there's this new filmmaker and he makes ultra brutal films. I mean, they're uh, great. They're it's. Uh, uh, uh. It's such great acting, such great story. It's it's such a slow burn huh. until like the last thirty minutes is just a complete just all nightmare. out mayhem, yeah, all out mayhem. And so brawl on brawl on cell block nine nine or something like that. Vince okay. Vaughn did totally out, finally kind of working outside of shell and just being such a dark, mean dude. And yeah. now the same filmmakers put him and Mel Gibson in a movie where they're both they're both crooked cops or they had like this one incident and now they're kind of blackballed as cops. They're trying to go after the people that set them up or something. And it's probably going to be again, another ballistic mayhem type of movie, (laughs) but it took him a while. And he steadily did it almost to the point where he wanted people to hate him for comedies. Yeah. So then he does Hacksaw Ridge. And you remember what he says, you remember what he says in granted, he didn't write it. Favreau wrote it, but um, what he says in swingers, he's like, Mikey, I don't want you to be the guy in the PG movie that everyone's just hoping makes it. I want you to be the guy in the R-rated movie that you're not quite sure about. Not quite sure. But you think there might be something there, right? That's, you I don't, mean, that might be a good indication of where Vince Vaughn went with this career. You like him. 
you don't know if you trust them, <laughs> exactly. you like them and you're rooting for them. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. you know, speaking of swingers, I always talk about swingers, but yeah. I mean, talk about, talk about, talk about guys making a movie, mm-hmm. n- really no major locations. It's, I, I don't know how much of that dialogue and that interaction was improv, but uh, the best scene obviously is all grows up in the, in the diner. And you yeah, can yeah, tell yeah. Their, their, their third buddy is just sitting there laughing. Favreau and <laughs> John Favreau, Vince Vaughn are going back and forth, uh-huh. challenging each other. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think she likes you. I, yes, man, I know she likes me. And, and, and the third guy is just sitting there like he can't keep a straight face. <laughs> and it's one of those moments where you feel that magic come through the celluloid, come through into mm. the screen where these, mm-hmm. if the guys on set are truly having fun. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a which can be a double uh, double edged sword at times, yeah. Because sometimes it feels very fun on set, and then you get home and you're like, "This is just a bunch of in jokes that no one else would ever give a shit about." Yeah. But 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 sometimes it works. I mean, not to not to say the opposite of what you're saying, because absolutely sometimes you can tell like these people really enjoyed what they were doing, and they really thought they were making good stuff, and they really were making exactly what was powerful or hilarious or important to them. And that's why it works, you know, because you can't like sort of like we were talking about before, you can't aim for a moving target. You want to be able to aim for a thing that you understand and that just amp it up just a little bit. Just like be out on the edge of the ledge juggling chainsaws, as David Fincher says. It's like you want you want to know enough about what you're doing to be able to know what you're trying to accomplish and then just amp up the difficulty a little bit on yourself, because then that's when happy accidents happen and. And incredible things can transpire that really make it better than some of its parts. Yeah. I mean, you have happy accidents like, uh, you know, usual suspects. Who the, uh, who the hell was it? I think Stephen Baldwin, you know, farted in that. <laughs> when they were, yeah, when they yeah, were reading when the line, the he farted. Uh-huh. And they're doing the lineup and they yeah. all just couldn't get through it. And you can, and that's even <laughs> David Fincher screaming well, they, they at him. They were sort of mocking Brian Singer. They didn't care about it. He was a young first-time director, and there was a bunch of problems. And so mm-hmm. them just, yeah, yeah, that's the story was, I heard, too. It was comedic is, gold. <clears throat> it, which it, is it, great, and it, it shouldn't it, – it leads us to believe that those characters are screw-offs the entire time, that those – yeah, yeah those, those characters, and that they just didn't take any of this stuff seriously. It could have had such a different vibe if they would have, you know, been – it would have been important to them, but because they were laughing and because it was all a big joke to them, mm-hmm. we just look at them in a way different manner throughout the whole thing. They have way more, um, <clears throat> they're a lot more bulletproof throughout the movie. And so when we see them get knocked off one by one yeah. to an extent, it's, um, it's a lot scarier, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and there's again, a, there's a flick of the cigarette too, when they're out um, with Redfoot out by Long Beach and all that, and he flicks a cigarette, that was, and he gets um, Benicio's reaction uh, to that is all real because it wasn't supposed to happen when he got in his face and all that. So, you know, you hope those things go down for sure. Yeah. And that's where, again, preparation, always maybe a second camera rolling, always a B camera rolling because sure. something, some gold is going to happen. And like, did you, did you catch that? <laughs> and you might have. And, and uh, there's a little bit of preparation. Like you sure. said, to be, you got to be a master to an extent in order to, to, to challenge yourself and add that little extra challenge and experimentation. You want to set yourself up for maximum success so that when things maybe don't go as as planned yeah. you're always ready for it with a backup idea and when things do do go as planned you have opportunity to then get one extra or one more mm-hmm. idea or really flip it on its head because yeah. like you know that's a lot of times when you're shooting it's like we got that now let's try something different now double what you did or cut in half what you did and we'll see how that works um getting 10 versions of the exact same thing isn't usually that useful so if you got one and you know it, and, that, and that's preparation, that's 100% preparation is like knowing what you want so that when you get it, you can move on to an alternate. Yeah. Um, that's always important in any artistic thing. Because if you're just aimlessly creating to get to something, then it's never going to work. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's, what's next on the agenda? What's the next set? What, what's next? the f- next film coming out or the next film yeah uh, you know set to be shot what's the next 
plan? What's in, what's what's next on the agenda for the next six months to a year from now? Right now we got better. Um, so bettermovie.com. You can go and you can, that's a documentary that we made and took us a couple of years. It's about diabetes. So diabetes and obesity and the worst health epidemic that's ever faced the world. I mean, pandemics, one thing, you know, that's a somewhat, somewhat temporary thing, but epidemic wise, I mean, it's, it's weight, especially in America. Yeah. I mean, it's just, um, obesity yeah, I'm, is I'm really what's, yeah, uh, that's, that's what has attacked, um, our country more than anything. And all of our health problems practically stem off of that in one way or another. So um, that's what this movie is about. It's about uh, sane eating. And uh, we interviewed uh, four Harvard doctors. We went to Harvard and did all this stuff. And we interviewed 25 or so. I forget exactly. Uh, diabetes, diabetes heroes, we call them. And so people that have uh, were, you know, in a bad place in life in one way or another, uh, health weight wise and made changes sort of according fitting in with what we talk about in the movie of some real actual answers, actionable stuff of what you can do to start losing weight tomorrow, to live a healthier life tomorrow, eat, think, live better. Yeah. It, and, and I think, you know, subject matters like that are super important. I was just talking to somebody about documentaries, um, mm -hmm. You know, I've got family members that have different tastes in films and none of them can stand the Marvel movies or the DC yeah. movies. Unless, 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 you know, if Pierce Brosnan was in one of them, oh, they'd go to the theater <laughs> to go see that. But my mom, other than that, my mom has no interest. But, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, you know most, of, most of my family, they're a bit older generation. They like the rom-coms. They like the, the character okay. studies. And, you know, I, and, and a couple of family members, they're big on history and they're big on, uh, you know, documentaries and that sort of thing. And... You know, the biggest argument is like the documentaries, I think most times are a stepping stone for a feature film narrative. And yeah. I know there's and, and, and I know there's a lot of filmmakers that just stick with documentaries. Maybe they have a passion for it. Maybe they have a, sure. a thrill for it. And, and I've been I've been pitched with documentaries. I'm saying, yeah, absolutely. I'll do a documentary because the second that thing's done, that is the pitch for the next bigger project of that idea subject matter mm -hmm. universe whatever yeah i you know there's something good about learning I, I think we've had some interesting things happen in the last decade or so that i really like uh the big short i think is a good example of that uh of a movie that is a that is a documentary sort of and it's also a narrative sort of and it's it really blurs the lines and you you have these people um breaking the fourth wall but not in a traditional way I really like that. Uh, Vice continued doing those that same sort of thing. I mean, I like mm -hmm. movies like that that can sort of get rid of the facade that that we pretend like we need as viewers and blur the lines a little bit because things are so interactive today too. You know what yeah. is what is the media? What is the media's um, effect on what we're seeing real time with what we're seeing and all that? It's like we. It's a weird thing, um, uh, the Derek Chauvin trial and all that. It's like, or, or maybe even it was the Bill Cosby trial. Any of these things are basically impossible to do without someone knowing what was going on, right? You know, there's, there's no jury of your peers that were um, uh, undiluted by the mass media of that story. That's like basically impossible. And if it were possible, would you really want that person deciding anything? Like yeah. they're so out of it that they didn't even know about these people. So, so you're in a situation to where that stuff is so self-reflexive all the time that why not take a step like inside and outside simultaneously to be able to look at how all these things interact. I think that's really the clever version of how all this goes and not pretend like they're all separate. Somehow the news is separate from um, what you experience in a movie that is separate, separate from what you experience while watching a movie and then all those things are different. I mean, that's just silly. And so when you can do it right, going in that direction, I think is really entertaining and blurs the lines between what's documentary and what's movie and, and why they would be different in the first place when art imitates life and life imitates art. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you've raised a good point. Big short. And there was the one, oh God, uh, bombshell with all the yeah. ladies that worked yeah, for yeah, yeah, uh, totally. Fox yeah. News, you know? Yeah. And again, breaking the fourth wall um, 
And then uh, the one with Meryl Streep about the pensions, the retirement funds being stolen. And John Mal I think it was John Malkovich and Crystal Fultz and, 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 and Gary Oldman winner. I didn't see that one. Well, that's a, that's a that's a lot of people. That's a lot of Oscars in one room. Yeah, it was a Netflix original. I can't remember the name of this one. Okay, but it's about it's Meryl Streep plays this uh, senior citizen whose pension was robbed, and and it turns out there's this firm, and they kind of like, they, oh. you know, they 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 sh they shift money, and and they got offshores of this that, and she actually started doing her own investigation, and yeah. then towards the end of the movie, it's the I don't want to spoil anything, um, but it's one of those fourth wall breaks yeah that meryl streep just starts taking off all her makeup and wigs oh and changing changing into her clothes into being meryl streep into just being in the meryl streep talk to True. the camera it's like it, you know it's like, a, like a 10 minute long duration take shit and, got real and, and shit got real and she just started yeah. saying like you know here's the problem with america today da, 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 sort wow, of kind of sort of piece. yeah and 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 again it's going back to what YouTube started, what TikTok started, what Facebook <clears throat> sure. started, where you got people talking to the camera, <clears throat> just unloading, telling stories. Then people started getting more creative with Final Cut and iMovie and so on and adding footage. And YouTube kind of started the whole new, uh, new media documentary, like the new informative, you know, InfoWars and stuff like that. And then you got InfoWars sure. and all these other channels. And, and, yeah. and so they're playing along with that, with, 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 on a such bigger budget and really, yeah. really breaking down the norms and experimenting because it's a true story. But mm -hmm. that here it is, here it is Meryl Streep breaking that down. That's neat. I should try yeah. to watch that. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. one reason to me too. Uh, I'm the biggest fan in the world of the Simpsons seasons one through 10 or 12 or however you want to say it. But, um, and then it fell off precipitously there thereafter but i've been a season i've been a fan of south park the entire time and something that's great about south park is they do have that ability to literally do make a whole make a whole episode about what happened that week like and that's crazy how fast they can move how they crazy haven't the writing and the and i mean <clears throat> animation it's not live action so fast. it's not yeah, just it's putting nuts. a camera up it's it's animation yeah I, yeah, I still don't really understand. I watched the documentary. I know how they do it. I still don't really understand how, how they can do it so fast. But yeah. um, nevertheless, they are able to create those stories that are as topical as or more topical than anything because they don't actually need to get all their stories straight, which is good because yeah. they're just making up some bullshit about it anyway. It's just a joke. It's, a, it's, an, it's an analog. It's a proxy for whatever happens to be happening. Um, and so it's so great. But yeah, that's that's you know they came in and were able to do that because of how fast they work and lampoon something that we didn't even know needed to be satirized or lampooned yet which is great because that's how real life is you know you're interacting with the thing immediately yeah and i think that's why that's why live streaming started popping in i mean you've mm -hmm. got a guy <clears throat> what the hell is his name mc mark something or other anyway mm -hmm. 900 he reached 900,000 every 100, every hundred thousand subscribers he got, he freestyled for that many hours. So oh, just recently, wow. just recently he got nine, 900 K subscribers. So he freestyled live for nine hours. That dude's and crazy. There's that yeah. I've seen him before. I yeah. forgot his name. He's nuts. Mark yeah. something, that's something, <laughs> but that's that, that's that, uh, interaction. And sure. that's the, the live streaming. And that's what saved me during the quarantine. I always jumped on the live streaming and the podcasting, which like you turned into those remote conferences, webinars, seminars, rem sure. uh, re remote um, events, hybrid yep. now, mo now moving into hybrid events. And I love to experiment. I love to be challenged. Okay. We got, you know, a bunch of uh, MCs at the Marriott in Nashville, but we got a bunch of guest speakers uh what are they what are they called well and it, yeah guest speakers is fine for sure at their at their houses throughout the whole planet. yeah totally and you cut and them all in cut them all in with zoom cut them all in with whatever yeah. whatever and, and and but they can hear them at the marriott the marriott can hear them everybody can hear me directing and producing yeah but but the audience can't hear me because then there's that like mixed minus or whatever action going the, on and the, the pandemic happened at a good time we were just far enough on technology to be able to enough. do all that stuff yeah not not quite it wasn't it wasn't like um yeah uh, 
what, what do you say? Completely matured, certainly. But Can- um, candles the Bleeding Edge worked well enough to be able to unite us all through Zoom. It, it really is yeah. interesting, the timing on that. Because if it happened five years ago, it would have been such a different Holy reality. Wait, without, the, without my Fire TV? <clears throat> yeah. Because it's like, just everything. So much different. The, yeah. the TV is mounted to the wall. Everything's inside of it. And it's just yeah. all I need is this little remote. <laughs> if I had to like switch the DVD or find extra DVD players and you got to have remotes, then do we have enough DVDs? We're going to be watching the same VHS. going to deliver the v- all these DVDs. The VHSs? Yeah, man. <laughs> got to rewind it. Um, sure. Jimmy, you forgot to rewind the tape. You know, we got to we got to sit here for five minutes and, and rewind uh-huh. the tape so we can watch the same movie for the tenth time again. Anyway, rough. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, you're right. We kind of we kind of were just at this perfect time where pe- where where all this remote stuff was at was eighty five percent. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. and I think two three months into quarantine, everything was like hundred percent too easy. I know how to work around this. Yeah, really weird, right? I mean. Not, it, it, I don't. I don't think there's any plan there or anything. It just sort of things lined up, and in a way that wasn't nearly as shitty as it could have been in terms of that stuff. Yeah. So, well, we touching go. upon touching upon that and and better movie. What drives you? Um, to get to the heart of the matter, to express in the simplest of terms, in the most direct, effective way, what I find, how my worldview interacts with what the actual world is mm-hmm. so asking questions and then finding answers and hopefully not finding answers that are too biased by what i think but are biased in terms of what is actually happening um so that's what what better would be you know us act, us act asking questions about what's the ideal diet what is the optimal way to live your life in such a way that you're understanding what feeds you and how your body works and what how a sane lifestyle would would look i mean i think those are definitely useful um i i there are a few things that are more universally needed in the world than that like what do i eat today and i think that's a great place to start so in terms of that project that's absolutely what um, what drives me in terms of other stuff. It's like, how do I get, you know, uh, David Fincher would say, um, I use a couple of his quotes already is, um, you know, our, our job as directors is to know when and how to give out information. It's basically all it is. So in, in a cinematographer does a very similar thing. So you're trying to design a shot in the way that the audience immediately knows what to look at. They're focused on the things that they need to be focused on. And there's enough going on in the frame to where it's, it, it has some life to it. There's, it's not boring. There's, there's something to, it's just aesthetically pleasing or aesthetically jarring or whatever it happens to be that you're aiming for right off the bat, but that it's not distracting. So you're constantly adding and eliminating, adding and eliminating. And that's, that's the goal. I think of any piece of art, there's enough there to be, <clears throat> to be a full picture or to be full minus one so that you, you, your brain's like trying to fill in a little bit, but without having it just be a muddled mess of stuff. So you're constantly shaving off just enough, you know, and we're sculptors in a lot of way, in a lot of ways without taking off too much. You don't want to take off the nose and then there's no story there, but you want to take off everything else until you have the sculpture within. So, I mean, I, anytime I'm approaching the story, it's that way. And especially on a movie like better, you are, you were taking you know what could be an eight hour movie a 10 hour movie we, we based it it was originally a, not originally it was always meant to be a movie but we also made a series out of it uh that was almost like eight hours long so there's a lot of information there are a lot of stories and we had to call that and really refine it to where it's just the maximum amount of information that an audience can take in in an hour and a half to understand what their diet could be yeah you know, touching upon asking questions. I mean, being an AD, I've I've had to ask a lot of questions, and you get and you get a lot of directors or producers like I already I already answered that. It's like dude, just <laughs> answer it again. <laughs> Clarification. Remind us. Yeah. We're, we're, what else are we doing? We're either going to shoot or we're going to discuss it. Yeah. Answer the question, and especially Funny. in the mil- and especially in the military, that's always there was. I would I would be always the one raising my hand and asking a question about 
a clarifying question on top of a clarifying question on top of a clarifying question. Hmm. I'm like, what, what the hell is with you? And, and, and by the time I get to, you know, staff sergeant, I'm the one where like, I've got soldiers under me that have a million questions. I'm like, ask hmm. away. I'll hmm. take notes. I'll take the hit. If they start getting annoyed with these questions, I'll take the hit. Don't mm. worry. Don't you worry about it. I'm going to ask the questions and I'm going to re-ask more and re-ask more so that the job's done the right way the first time. As what, long and, as there's, there, there's somewhat reasonable questions, as long as, as they are in the ballpark of what we're talking about right. and they're not trying to like invalidate the whole idea of what we're trying to accomplish. You know, you don't yep. want to, you don't want to hear questions. Well, they're not even usually questions they are more like, Oh, this seems cool, but did we think about doing this on Mars? And you're like, Sh shut up, dude. We're doing the scene. We've already dialed it. We're already yeah, here. We're already doing the right. thing. Like, like, like focus, you know, we can change 1% now. We can't change 80%. Right. But um, I think um, asking questions if is a way to refine people's understanding of what they actually want without, um, and it allows them to be specific. I really think that's what it is. Maybe what you're talking about with regards to directors. Cause a lot of times <clears throat> if I'm in that situation, say it's a DP, which I would on a lot of the sets I'm on, it's similar to being part of what an AD does because I'm trying to establish like what our, what our shot list is going to be for the day because it's not quite dialed in. It's sort of there, but it's not. And so I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. we're going to get eight. We, we're going to be here for four hours. How do we maximize that time? What are we trying to accomplish? What's the order of these things? You know, AD stuff, uh, assistant director for anyone, people who don't first AD specifically for anyone who doesn't know. One of the, I, one I'm of the, one of the they best know and thing. worst jobs. On oh set. man, just the most thankless, shitty job in a lot of ways, but also very good because you're at the helm. Um, but when people have to answer questions and explain like I'm five, you know, that thing, explain like I'm five. When people have to do that, then it's a very good test of what they actually know about what they're talking about. And how fleshed out their idea is and if people can do that over and over again then it usually means that they have a mastery of the subject and so you you want to test and you want to help them refine their mastery of their subject while they're on set of what they think their thing is because a lot of times people are also under false pretenses of what they think their thing is they think it's a horror movie and then they're not explaining a horror movie they're explaining a comedy because they don't understand some of the nuances because those are only maybe one degree apart at times, or right. they share the same world. So when when you let people um, make their own bed, then they have to lie in it. And if they yep. thought it was a different bed, then that that will be a problem. So yeah, answering asking questions that they get them to under to understand what they don't know, I think is super important. Clarifying questions over and over again. Why are you asking me that? <laughs> Because you didn't give me just, a reasonable answer last time. And no, you don't know that you didn't do that. But my experience versus your experience. Yeah. I've seen this fail. You might not have even tried this before. I haven't seen it fail. I haven't seen it succeed. But this is a different movie than that. And this is a sure. different movie. This is a different movie than the other two of the one that failed and one that succeeded. This is mm -hmm. a third and totally different movie that we're trying something similar. So let's fine tune this. Sure. Yeah, or, yeah, that's what or let's do. or let's or let's just break up the shot into three shots, wide, medium, close, two shot, two <laughs> shot, boom. Sometimes that's all Lunch. you need. Coverage is not necessarily wrong. Yeah, um, but if you can approach it in a more meaningful way, more specific way, more um, esoteric way, then maybe that's what you want as well. Who but knows? a lot of a lot of times you get those guys like, "What's with all these questions?" And it's like, just tell me you don't have the answer, and we'll figure it out. <laughs> Let's be honest. You're trying to help them, right? Communication. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and like you said, Fincher. And well, what I, I remember Tarantino saying, a, a great director is a great communicator. Hmm. Get, get that information to all your departments and you don't have to freaking do it. They'll yeah, do it. If sure. you communicate to them, this is the year, Salvation Army, kind of close, um, you know, poop all over the wall it's it's, it's a dingy bar sure you know, so on and so forth when you show up you don't have to say anything it's all set yeah. you directed them you chose the of, right people too yes you, you choose know, you the right you, you choose the, the right people. people you give them the guidance and they go and make everything perfect i mean that's and what people and they're, you they're know better you at communicate it. with sure they're better at it than you are hopefully if you hired people they should be better at everything you do than you are 
basically except for directing hopefully yes <laughs> if you're the director yes yes yeah. but of course i'm gonna hire someone that's a better <laughs> wardrobe and hairstylist than me i can't sure. cut hair yeah and, yeah, yeah and i think the biggest and and uh you know i'm sure i'm sure you have more you, i'm sure you have your hands in more fires and irons than i do but i'm to the point where it's like okay i'm a right and if i direct i'm not i'm not going to edit let mm. somebody else jump on that editing yeah they're, they're probably better at it than i am they're probably hungrier they probably you actually want to do it new to it i don't even yeah. want to do it anymore i'm too old for that shit for to sure. where to where Understood. it's like i'm gonna because i could go off and write and direct something else and i could i could i could still direct the editing process to an extent yeah I could totally. still direct that. Huh? Sorry, I was got a package coming in here trying to solve it. Um, yes, no you could you could edit it, but it might not be as good as what someone else could do because they come to it with a fresh perspective yeah. and they can really bring something new to the table that you hadn't even thought of before. Or or they look at it and be like, yeah, that's what you wanted, but it doesn't it doesn't do that for me. It doesn't accomplish what you said your goal was. Maybe you have a different goal now. Yeah, exactly. It's hard. Um, I got to bounce. Okay. I got a hey, no shoot sweat, that I got to get to. I got to load. So, All right. So um, before I before I let you go, yeah. one last point of advice to the, to, to the viewers, one last point of advice, one last point to, to make or one last bit of advice for the viewers as creatives coming out of this quarantine. And um, well, it, one thing I would say, one thing I learned and, you know, advice is whatever. Everyone's got it. And it's all stinks like that. However, that phrase goes right No, But um, one thing I would say is that like during during this whole pandemic debacle is like I realize I there's a lot of times I probably shouldn't take a stand on stuff of like me knowing what the CDC should know or me knowing how you know how they should run a government or a country or a, or or an entire world. Like I would have any knowledge of that stuff is just like bang back, do what you can do, be as um, uh, maximize your world to the extent that you can, and then try to let other let other things happen the chips fall the the way that they will because ultimately you don't have that much of an effect over it mm -hmm. so i think that's one thing i definitely learned is like don't speak out the first week and be like well here's how pandemics work like come on man you don't know that here's how they should do all mask laws always and like dude like how how um how how big do you think your brain is to understand what thousands millions of people other people who are in charge of that stuff don't know it's stupid so yeah. that's what i would say and then uh in terms of um creativity it's like there's a lot of stuff out there try to find something that doesn't already exist and make that tell the story i mean i guess the best piece of advice is like tell the story that you're unique you're you are uniquely tailored and designed to tell better than anyone else you really want to aim toward that. Don't tell the story that someone else is already telling, but tell it in a mediocre manner because you don't have the access to the money or the funds or the ideas or the whatever that they do. Like tell your story the best that you can and and make it palatable for an audience, but 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 make it the thing that you are uniquely um, set to do. Absolutely. Well, Justin McAleese, I won't keep you too long. Uh, don't go, don't go away just quick. We'll talk like maybe another 30 seconds offline, but yep. Justin McAleese, Blair Media, uh, bettermovie.com, brickmadness.com, brickmadness.com if you want something funny. Hell yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Justin, I can't thank you enough. Uh, stick around and, and we'll chat just one second. The viewers out there, if you want to become an honorary member of the Zombie Squad, send me some, uh, hit me up on, on any of the socials. Um, send me the name that you want to be credited as, as your, as a honorary member of Zombie Squad. Send me your favorite one or two profile pictures avatars what have you your profile pictures on instagram facebook whatever and we can squad you up i will make you an honorary member of the zombie squad and i i'll and, and i'll design all the stuff i'll design a t-shirt i'll design your logo your whole zombie squad kind of profile if you want to be an honorary member of zombie squad and give you the options to buy a t-shirt to buy a phone case to buy a pillow to buy a tapestry to buy a hoodie to whatever the hell you want but if you want to be an honorary member of the zombie squad let me know and uh hey, but you gotta put they gotta put in the work though all they all they, all they have to all they have to do is send one or two of their profile pics and uh they'll be an honorary